0: What are your superpowers and how can you use those for other people in the teaching profession? Today on the show, I get to talk to my friend, colleague, and middle school French teacher, Erin Emery. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. I invited Erin on the show to talk about her mental health journey and how she shares this with the students in her school in an open, honest, and thoughtful way. And while we definitely get into how Aaron sees the importance of teachers sharing parts of themselves that might otherwise be kept hidden, we get into so much more in this conversation. We talk about the importance of normalizing taking mental health days, how schools benefit from paying more attention to the people with the most vulnerable mental health in the community, and how we can use our unique superpowers to affect change. Erin has a candid, funny, and refreshing take on teaching and the profession that I know you will love. So let's get to it. Please welcome Erin Emery to the show. Erin Emery, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. I am so
1: excited to have a full hour uninterrupted to get to talk to you. I could not be more thrilled to be spending my Friday with you like this.
0: This is going to be, I think, one of my favorite conversations of the week, just because I know that you're going to make me laugh. I know that we're <laughs> going to think deeply about things, and I've been wanting to have this conversation for a while, so I'm really glad that all of our stars aligned. Uh, yes. I'm going to start by having you introduce yourself, so can
1: you tell everyone who you are, where yeah. you live, and what you do? Sure thing. My name is Erin Emery. My pronouns are she, her. I live in Toronto and um, I am a middle school French teacher but I also am uh, as involved as possible with the Gender Sexuality Alliance both in the middle school and in the senior school where I can. Um, And uh, I live in Toronto. I got married last year and that's nice. And I live in a great apartment with my husband and our two cats. (laughs) <laughs> love it I love it you're like and I got married and that's nice, that's nice. it's very nice um especially you know uh, we had to obviously be well we got married in 2020 so there was like a whole pandemic and I mean that in a we could have a whole podcast about how to adapt to you know major event shifts because of a pandemic and that's certainly one of them and now we're like are we gonna be cool for our rescheduled reception in November boy I hope so but also yeah. a, les- a lesson in kind of humility of like control over things? No, that's fake. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's get into that with all of our practices
0: and everything changing. I just want to start with like the very serious question. Why are you such an awesome, magical, badass unicorn? (laughs) Begin there with that very journalistic question. Go. I love
1: it. Before I answer this question, and I'm delighted that I was able to see a few of these questions before so that I could like actually think about this answer, I just want to acknowledge how wonderfully Celeste a question this is to actually get someone to like, where you need to talk about yourself and acknowledge how remarkable you are. And that feels like a very Celeste Kirsch thing to do, (laughs) because I think that we exist in a space where we don't really have that invitation that often to acknowledge the things that we are proud of. So mm. I am delighted by this question. Um, so I, I mean, I think we have to sort of. I have to start with thanking my parents for being, you know, who they are, and obviously, you know, like such pillars of who, um, like where I came from and who I wanted to be. And I often look at, you know, each of my parents is like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense about me. Mm-hmm. Um, my my mom, in particular. Um, is a huge inspiration to me. My parents uh, got divorced when I was young in like grade four. So um, like I saw my mom become a single parent and raise myself and my two brothers in a way that was always so centered around, um, you know, compassion and making sure that our voices and our emotions were um, at the front and center of just being like, these things are important and we need to do in the work of, Taking care of them because this is a challenging situation for young people to navigate. Um, my my mother has always been a huge role model to me, and then looking to my dad, um, you know, we Emrys are a breed of like loud um, and uh, outspoken folks who have a strong connection to family. Um, so that's that's been. I would sort of start there. Um, And then, and then I was trying to kind of think about and this like question of how to become a badass and I do have a like a very specific moment and it's kind of a weird one, but here we go. My mom um, would often when we were younger go on various retreats and things and when I, you know, when I was about 14 um, and my middle brother was 11 or however we started just like we want to go on these things we want to go so we ended up going with her to what was called like the enlightened warrior training camp oh my god um, yes out in the california desert for like a long weekend or a week i don't remember and so this was you know the summer before i turned 15 late 14 and one of the things you know there was lots of lessons in there like integrity is everything your word and you following up is the thing that matters most and so there's like a kind of like a lot of like woo-woo stuff but then also some really valuable lessons in that and then the closing ceremony of that event was okay you are going to call upon a person i believe i called upon my mom and you're going to walk towards that person over 33 feet of hot coals dual hot coals legit hot coals and and it's an exercise in you have to make the decision and you have to go Because if you, if you walk too slowly, you're going to burn your feet. (laughs) If you are actually running, like if you sprint thoughtlessly, because of the way that your feet is going, your feet will hit the ground, it'll actually also burn your feet because you're just slapping down on these. So what you have to do is make the decision and just power walk, like walking with purpose towards this. (laughs) So I did that, like the month before I turned 15, I still have in a jar, like the ashes from the coal, like they gave everyone that. And I mean, after you've done that, like things like raising your voice is because, like, not a big deal, (laughs) or less of a deal than I had initially perceived. And I think that really was like a huge turning point for me because I remember feeling like, you know, really shy and certain things. I was really insecure about, like, I never really liked my smile, and you can actually pinpoint like I started smiling in photos. The like the nanosecond that I left that experience because I was like I've walked over hot coals (laughs) your perception of me and my physical appearance means nothing because I know that I have worth and I've done some incredible things and I'm excited to see where this goes next so I mean that was like that's like my superhero origin story maybe I feel like there's other things but I like that to me is like that was a huge turning point
0: That is amazing. I have a million <laughs> follow-up questions, but I, I want to just acknowledge that there's people who are listening to this that don't know anything about you. So we're going to back the train up. And this is, it. I think my favorite opening to any conversation I've ever had. <laughs> uh, okay. So I wanted to have you on the show, not just because I adore you and mm. you're one of my favorite people to work with and you're whip smart, but specifically Absolutely. because of the way that you share your story openly and vulnerably with our students. So I'm going to walk back a little bit. And when I first yeah. met you, it was the year I came back from my maternity leave with Ambrose. And I was yeah. like, who is this amazing young upstart? And like, <laughs> what is she all about? But then I was like completely taken aback by how open you are about your own mental health journey. And that is not something that i had ever seen a teacher do before you. Mm. And so then fast forward to this year and you're sharing your story with our whole middle school in the chapel, walking through your diagnosis and yeah. your whole journey, and just in such a way that destigmatizes everything and makes it completely understandable. Mm-hmm. So I wanna like get deeper into that so I won't take sure. away the whole story, but can you talk us through your decision in sharing so much about your personal life, yeah. was that a
1: hard choice to make? Was it just a natural extension of who you are as a teacher? Mm-hmm. Tell me everything. Yeah. So I guess, you know, just for those tuning in, um, the, the shortest summary of like my mental health story was that, uh, in undergrad when I was at Queens university, I was diagnosed with depression. Um, that was, you know, quite, uh, quite debilitating uh, to the point where i in fourth year was able to apply for um i think it's called agritet standing where basically it's like i had a note so that i could i only had to complete like 70 percent of coursework and i without that i would not have got my degree like there would have been no way um and so i, I graduated in 2013 and everything was going super well uh in fact it was arguably arguably going too well uh, because I ended up having a manic episode. I was in the hospital for two weeks and then they're like, oh yeah, oops, uh, actually bipolar disorder. And so that was um, summer 2013 and I started recovering. And at that time I had, uh, you know, on the horizon was going to teacher's college. And even though I was recovering from this, you know, massively traumatic experience and a new mental health diagnosis and managing all these meds I knew in my heart and in my brain like if I take a year off to recover I'm never going to go I have to go now or it's not going to occur uh yeah so that's that's sort of the mental health landscape so I mean I think that I'm a you know I'm a pretty open um sharing type of person but the the thing for me so before i got the bipolar disorder um, diagnosis when at, at the time it was just depression the, one of the big catalysts was seeing a lot on my social media of people talking about their undergrad experience undergrad experience with you know oh my gosh like you know i can't believe it's coming to an end these were the best four years of my life you know everyone says that university's best four years da, da, da. and i was sitting there reading this being like I nearly died. Um, this was not, if this is the best four years, oh my gosh, that is, uh, I am not, (laughs) what is the rest going to be? So I, I remember I posted a video to my Facebook and that, you know, it was like just started off saying like, I just want to acknowledge like I did not have a good time these four years. I've made beautiful friendships. I've had lots of good experiences, but overall like this has been the hardest thing I've ever done. And So that was received really well. I mean, like, granted, you know, you're kind of in an echo chamber on Facebook, but I was starting to get messages from people saying, like, I know I really struggle too. Thank you for sharing. Um, And I had already seen that, like, sometimes your voice matters and makes a difference. I remember, you know, another facebook encounter prior to this where i just you know was getting really into it in the comment section of someone's post where they'd made like a very like rape culture-y joke and i was just like could you like I don't really find this funny and I don't understand why do you do it? And it went on for hours and I was exhausted and I was like, oh, why did I do this? Why can't I let it go? But then I got two messages from strangers mm-hmm. who had said, I was reading everything you wrote and I never thought of myself as a feminist. until now. I was like, done, worth it. That whole labor has been worth it. Wonderful. So that was sort of the, you know, and then when I made this video, just saying like, my undergrad experience was extraordinarily difficult. I started hearing from people who would privately message or comment, be like, I've had similar experiences. And so it, it showed, oh, if I, you know, there is a conversation that will start happening once we have someone out in the space being open and vulnerable. So I made the decision, especially after I came out of the hospital and was trying to basically rebuild my whole life to continue being as transparent both like in my public, quote unquote, sphere on social media, as well as within my friend groups of just like trying to communicate what I needed or what I was experiencing. And so that had always been a good, uh, like a good starting point for conversations and I could see it happening. So when I, when I got my job um, as a teacher, as a full-time teacher, you know, I was, I, I, I think there was a lot of fear in the, in my first year there, I was just, you know, I, I don't think I told anybody unless I had become quite close with them as like a, a friend outside of work, because I was very much, a, you know, like, are they going to fire me if they find out that I'm mentally ill? Is someone going to view me as incompetent? Is a parent going to complain about me if I disclose anything? So I kept things really close to the, uh, really close to the chest. And so I think that, you know, and then it kind of comes back to that lesson that I got from that. Enlightened warrior training camp, like integrity is everything. And so I started to feel this like lack of integrity between my like, teacher self and who I try to be in my own personal life. Because in my own personal life, I'm really candid about, I'm as candid as possible about when things aren't good or when things are bad in the hope that it sparks conversation. So it started creating this like, you know, this dissonance of, I'm doing this and I see that it makes a difference with the like the adult people in my life but I'm holding it back from young people in my teacher life and I mean I think there's a whole you know like we could have and I, I hope that we do and you know we can have lots of conversation about how teachers kind of have these like superhero identities almost in a way in terms of you know like like, I just reopened my, my Twitter to public, like, my Aaron Emery handle, <laughs> plug, but, you know, like, I, I did, a, you know, I had to really start thinking about, like, everything, I have to make sure I'm on the right account and not my fan account, because if I cross post, then that's going to be a problem. Like, we have these barriers between who we are and where our students are, and I think that those are totally fine to have, you know, I'm not, you know, I think those are fine to have. But I was really starting to experience this like lack of, like, you know, it's bothering me that I'm in this space and I know that I have power. I know that I'm a role model in a way. So what am I doing with it? So I started like sneakily <laughs> sort of signaling to people like, welcome to my classroom. Um, here's a bunch of quotes from Carrie Fisher talking about her mental health what's that over there? Oh, it's like the pride flag. It's the bisexual pride flag interpret at your leisure um, of just trying to give symbols to people who would maybe pick up on it. And then um, I had a, you know, I had a really wonderful group of students in my homeroom a few years, a few years ago um, who I still think so fondly of. And I remember telling them, I was just like, you know, like we're, we're doing this lesson plan on mental health. It's the, corporate bell let's talk day whatever I just want you to know that you know this is really important to me because I live with mental illness and they received it very well some asked a few questions but they were like oh okay that's neat um and oh it's not a big it's not a big deal to them but they were curious and they sometimes asked questions so and then the pandemic happened um and <laughs> then the pandemic happened and that really was a catalyst for me for this year to really step into the Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put everything out there because I think that we're in this space where we need to have real talk about mental health, mental illness, how freaking hard it is to navigate this new paradigm that we're working under. Um, so, so in terms of com- you know coming forward to share about my mental illness, it was like time a sense of, this, and that sense, you know, of that sense of trust in the community. And then also a sense that if this can provoke, like if this makes a difference to one student, it's worth it.
0: I think that that's so interesting. The idea that like, we of course have these selves that we should keep out of the classroom. Like we don't mm-hmm. need to have everything about ourselves publicly broadcast, mm-hmm. but it makes me wonder if, the teacher burnout rate is higher for people who are hiding more of themselves or who don't feel like it's safe in their school community to be fully them. Like I, oh, at yeah. our school, I, I had a similar experience where the first year I'm like, how safe is it for me to be an openly out woman and hundred percent getting married at the end of that school year experience was like, Oh my gosh, I couldn't have landed in a more, open and accepting Mm -hmm. and loving community I totally feel like I can be my full authentic self and I think that says a lot about the people
1: that we are surrounded by like it really is exceptional I completely agree yeah and I mean like this is as I said this is my uh this is my first full-time teaching gig so I haven't you know I've been to other places temporarily both in terms of like supply contexts and um you know, doing like shorter, shorter placements, but so it's, yeah, I, I think that the community that we're in is really, really special um, because, you know, I, I have folks, um, I have folks in my life who are also teachers who have also, you know, varying uh, mental illnesses or whatever else is going on and, and they, they, ha- they, they don't disclose. And I don't think that everyone should have to, I don't think that, not that they, I don't think that anyone should feel the pressure to have to disclose, but if you're in an environment where you don't feel safe doing so, I think the, I think a really good kind of like litmus test or like where's your community at might be when you are taking a sick day because you are, you need a mental health day. Do you say that you're having a sick day or do you come, or do you think that it's okay for you to say I'm having a mental health day? And, and that to me was actually one of those kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to test this boundary because I'm going to, you know, I certainly the first, I'd say two, if not two and a half to three years of being at our school, if I was taking a mental health day, I would be like, I'm sick. No details. (laughs) I'm ill. Um, But then I, again, it was that like, that's not true. And that's not, I, I like, I think it's important. So I started saying, I'm taking a mental health day. And it was, you know, men with like Oh, okay. Well, like, is your coverage in? Cool. I hope that you have. You know, I hope it gets better. Uh, oh, yes. it's not like you know, and it's not like we need a note from you know, like what proof you know, because I think that that uh, that con- you know, the idea that you're if you step forward into your truth about like I'm, I need support for my mental health. I think in the same way that like for other people who have other you know baggage or trauma. It's there's a fear of if I put it out there, am I gonna have to defend myself? And that's exhausting. Yes. Yeah. And I don't wanna do that. So I'm just gonna lie and say that I have a cold. I mean, you wanna do that now because if you have a cold and it's the pandemic, people are gonna be like, oh no, <laughs> get tested. <What> is this? <laughs> get tested. Um, but I think that's a really good sort of starting point to see like if you feel comfortable doing. So like maybe that's something that, you know, I think it'd be great. I would really love it actually if Just kind of across the board everywhere, whatever amount of sick days you have, I would love to see those rebranded as sick days slash mental health days. And like, what would that do if we just, like, yeah, everyone gets a common, you know, you get X number of days either being sick or you need a mental health day. And you name it.
0: You name it. And I think that it has to be normalized at the higher up levels Mm -hmm. because, or to have even transparently senior leaders to say, I'm going to take tomorrow off as a mental health day. Like what would it be like if a oh principal man, was, emailed their st- like their teachers mind. to say, "Hey folks, I'm and like once a year, like not even doing it yeah. even if they don't really need it." Like it's such a provocative statement and I want I, every school leader yeah. listening to this to like think about that really critically because when you model that kind of Mm self-care for your teachers. I don't, I really believe in teachers and I don't think that they would abuse it. I think that it would allow people so much more freedom to take care of their needs Mm -hmm. and to not burn out in this profession and to really, truly be authentic Mm -hmm. about how we take care of ourselves. Because honestly, I I think anyone listening to this that has said that they have always been honest about every sick day that they've ever taken, I don't think that's real. You get a cookie uh, because I, I, you know, I don't think that... And that's also not a badge of honor. I think that there's an intergenerational different. You know, people who are 20 years older than me often will say things like, I've never taken a sick day in the last 10 years of teaching.
1: As a point of pride. Yeah. And I
0: I think that that is really unhealthy. I'm like, why not? Why not? And I don't believe that you've never needed a day to just take a breath or
1: feel like you can be better in your profession. Absolutely. I think it would blow my mind if if a if a a principal or head of school would be like you know hey folks i just wanted to you know like i took mental health day because i needed it like and i think that they probably need one we are in a panorama we are in a <laughs> we are in a pandemic i love the just like general emergence of like internet culture we're like which i thought was just born of like we don't want to say pandemic cuz we're sick of it but i think it was also because like tiktok was starting to like censor or take down videos where people mentioned the pandemic like I think, I okay, I'm gonna make this as a, like an assertion, but I don't know it to be true, so feel free to correct me, but I think that's why we're seeing this trend of like, we're in a Panera Bread or we're in a photographic. Um, anyways, we are in- Okay, a I didn't even know that that was a thing. I feel like oh, you're so much man. cooler and savvier than I am because I'm
0: like, what panorama? I don't know what that means, but yeah, I love it.
1: I think the the people who probably need a mental health day more than anyone are the poor heads of schools who have been trying to deal and deal with everything, manage this ship, and then, oh, surprise, March break is postponed. (laughs) Like, if anyone needed a mental health day, surely, like, heads of schools, if you're listening, please
0: take one. I'm more curious about, I could totally understand if you're leading a community through a time of crisis like this, Mm -hmm. that, like, you maybe don't need a day off to watch Netflix. Like that's not where your mm-hmm. energy is. Like maybe you're getting a lot of fulfillment from seeing the impact of your efforts. Totally. But I also wonder five years from now, what will be the fallout of all of this energy, all of this trauma work that we're doing? Like we're going through trauma right now and yep. teachers, principals, heads of schools, therapists, counselors, mm-hmm. like when we're on, when we're at a different version of reality, whatever that yes. is, how we all heal from this is my
1: question. Don't have an answer, but I was going to say, I, really just... I think that's the que- I think that is, and you know, that's not even really a question that's crossed my mind because I'm, I'm so aware that like, we're going to be in this for quite a bit longer, probably, mm-hmm. you know, is is like everyone being vaccinated is that the end point or you know i'm just i'm trying to stay as you know it's challenging because i i for for the folks who say oh i just try to take it day by day i was like yeah i gotta play lessons though for like the next couple of weeks so that i feel on top of stuff you know so like considering the question of like what is this going to be when this is all over is like that's so that's so beyond what i can even conceive of mm-hmm. i'm just trying to get to like the end of this month and like Yeah, it's sort of like when you're in a. For me, it feels like when you're in a video game that's like open concept, but like you start right here and you don't see anything, and then the more you explore, the more that the map appears. That I can only perceive the map until the end of March, and then I'm like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I think this question of you know what lessons are we going to take from this experience, I really do think that we are going to be can, I don't think we're going to go back to not having the level of conversation we're having around mental health like we are now. Mm-hmm. I think that this has taught everybody hopefully that this is really important. I think that being honest and and that treating the mental health concerns are just as important as treating any sort of physical concerns as well. Particularly you know I think that with the decision to return to on-campus learning, which I have very complex feelings about. You know, like on the one hand, I'm delighted to be able to like be in the building and have a bit more routine and to actually see student faces and to be able to, you know, pass my colleagues in the hall, even though we're like kind of passing ships in the night. Um, But a lot, you know, I also wonder, like, was this the right choice for us to make in terms of COVID things and reducing transmission, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But the main the main thing that was coming up, it was like it's critical for the mental health of our students mm-hmm. that we return to campus if possible, if possible. I certainly think there were advantages for me personally with the online schedule that we had and like being in my own space was helpful but after a while I was like oh man this is a slog like I'm a very social creature and even though we're kind of socializing through the screen it's not the same yeah I want to
0: loop back because you walked on hot coals you learned (laughs) how to become uh an amazing warrior princess I think that's the official name of the training that you did correct uh, and I shared on the last solo episode that you know there are these unnamed teachers that were so great <laughs> about advocating about taking care of teacher yeah. wellness, and that was you. I mean, it was you. It was like, me. I've been unmasked, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to like name you on the podcast while I'm like processing my own like mm-hmm. stuff around that. Yep. But I have my own guesses based on what I now know about mm-hmm. some of your backstory, but. Why, why are you the kind of person or how are you the kind of person that isn't afraid to stick your neck out there? Like, how do you get to be like that?
1: I am. Um, uh, again, I think, you know, I think there's, you know, there's so many different combinations of things. And um, after we shared after I shared with the students in chapel, you know, like, this is my mental health story on bipolar, here's the deal. Um, I made a half hour long video where I responded to the, like, the additional student questions that we just didn't have time for. And there was an amazingly juicy question towards the end. It's like, do you think that you would be the same person if you hadn't had these experiences with mental illness? And I was like, unknowable, but I don't think so. I'd like to think that I was already a pretty, like, empathetic person, but I think that this has, like, how could this have not changed who you know who I am and and how I enter the world and I think you know I know that for me asking for things or or trying to ask for things or speaking up is not necessarily something that I find hard or challenging and I think that looking to a lot of my friends who are certainly would identify themselves as introverts, whereas I'm like as about as extroverted as one, <laughs> as one could probably uh, suspect, you know, I, start, I started noticing things of like, oh, okay, like that sort of them, you know, like this sort of asking for your needs thing isn't just a default setting. This is maybe a power or a skill that I appear to have. And it doesn't cost me, you know, a lot of emotional labor to be like, hey, actually, could we try this? in in kind of like more casual personal settings or whatever. So there's that going on. And then specifically to the question about advocating for the teachers and advocating for my colleagues this year, I think we can't have this conversation without acknowledging that about a week and a half into this pandemic panorama, I took a leave of absence because the stress and anxiety was astronomically high and I was just like having ongoing panic attacks for days at a time and I couldn't stop having them and it was I have to stop drop everything right now and come back later when I was coming back to work as part of my gradual return you know a lot of the you know like guess we're still in this environment um and now we're getting close to you know the stressful periods of the year that would be the stressful periods in any year it's like oh it's november time to do all these assessments so i can write the december report card oh it's you know mid february time to write that report like in a normal teaching year we have these you know these waves of uh, of workload of higher amount of stuff that you have to do in your personal time and because i think because i had had to literally step back i could see them coming as you know these big waves and like hey that's going to be a problem if I can if I'm having these struggles because of, you know, I have an underlying mental health condition, I'm confident that what is what is best for me is also going to be best for everyone around. You know, I think that if we we try to approach that lens, you know, like whatever is good for the most marginalized is ultimately what's going to be good for everybody. Not to say that I, you know, like a white privileged person, but not marginalized, but like I do have like a thing that makes my life challenging and it's being bipolar. So whatever's going to be good for my mental health is automatically going to be good for everyone's. Yeah, you're so, the canary
0: in the coal mine. A hundred percent.
1: That's exactly what that's exactly what my dad said to me as I was taking my leave. He's like, well, if you're the canary in the coal mine, like maybe this will provoke conversation. And I said, and that would be worth it. If that happens, then it's worth it. And it it's so interesting to me because yes, you are,
0: you know, perhaps by having that diagnosis, you may know that you are more susceptible to those regular waves and flows. And like my honestly, like, and I shared this in the last episode, but my initial thought was when you were voicing this, I'm like, nah, whatever. It's always busy at this time <laughs> of year. And I don't have a diagnosis. So like I maybe could have dealt with it, mm-hmm. but it, it's better now. Like my mental health is better because you exactly. stood up and shared and people heard you. And I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. And but I want that to be a lesson mm-hmm. for other people. Like you have a gift to be able to perceive things more mm-hmm. deeply and more fully. And mm-hmm. you also have a gift in that you are loud and you are not afraid <laughs> of sharing your voice. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that more people can take a lesson from that of what are your superpowers and how can you use those for other people.
1: A hundred percent. And the way that I phrased it, you know, um the way that I phrase it in the chapel when I was talking to the, you know, the the students in the community at large. <clears throat> um, was I sort of started to like, everyone has scales, right? Like you don't always have great mental health. You don't always have bad. You're like, you're trying to balance the scales as best you can. My, I said, my scales are just a bit more sensitive and they can skew one way more than the other. And sometimes super rarely, they might skew more towards like really, really energetic and that's the mania. But you know, typically for me, it's skewing a bit more towards anxiety and depression. And I'm trying to remember the author, I, I'm listening to an audiobook of uh, it's it's called Believe Me. It's a collection of essays that's been edited by uh, Jacqueline Friedman, Jacqueline Friedman, my idol, and Jessica Valenti, and it's talking about um, you know responding to the Me Too movement and the power of like when we like of believing people and listening to them. And I was just listening to one of the essays the other day talking about like if we actually were to speak more to The fact that the people who have endured trauma, the people who are survivors, um, if we spoke to them, like, they have knowledge and they have expertise, and it's crazy that we don't listen to them. So I think that there is sometimes, you know, this tendency of, like, oh, you having this thing has weakened you and has made you unreliable in some way, Um, but, but really, like like, yeah, damn, I wish I hadn't had to deal with depression. Like, cause it's not fun. It's really scary at times. It's better now. Cause I've had, you know, a lot of mileage to deal with it, you know? So as much as I like, there is a part of me that wishes that the pain wasn't so great, but I also know that like, I have a very, I've got a unique perspective on things. And I think that that can make, moves and and shifts and waves if I use my voice because I have this perspective I want it through hardship (laughs) and time but I think that that grants me a certain perspective on things and I think that that just like with everything the more perspectives of different people's lenses that we have the better we're going to be able to find solutions to make things better for everyone you know and I, I also I think that I think that if you are able if you've been able to put the safety mask on yourself first and if you have the energy left to try and assist others do it if you if you have it in you and you're thinking about it try because i you know it's only going to get better the more voices we have at the table the more perspectives that we have for like whatever the problem or issue is um if you don't then that's fine. You just take care of you because that's all that really matters at the end of the day. But if you can, if you have energy and reserves left over to maybe just to, even if that shift is I'm taking a mental health day in your email as opposed to I'm taking a sick day, then that's going to move. Like if we all start doing incremental things, it's going to eventually start shifting the needle towards mm. a world where we can say that I'm taking a mental health day and it's not met with like scorn or uh, dismissal or mm-hmm. whatever it might be yeah.
0: this might be a larger question than we yes. have time for in this <laughs> podcast but are oh, you ever worried that by being open and honest and direct like mm. sharing your
1: superpowers sure. it may get used against you oh i am deeply worried about that uh, <laughs> a lot of the time
0: <laughs> I, I think that's
1: like a legitimate you know concern I, for 100%. people hundred percent i am I I worry about that a lot. And that was a worry that prevented me. Not, uh, that, that was a worry that held me back for a good long while. And again, I still think about quite a lot, but I've made the calculation like, you know what, though? I've had, I think, three students now individually reach out to me asking if they could just chat because they said, you seem like a good person to talk to. <laughs> so that math is like, oh, worth it. But Oh yeah. That's a, <laughs> yeah. I worry about that quite a bit. Um, but you know, it hasn't happened yet. And even during the learning conferences that we had, like one of the parents acts almost made me cry. And I was like, "Ma'am, I have like 20 more of these to do. But she said that she had watched the video that I posted where I shared everything. And she just wanted to thank me for being candid like that. I was like, Oh yeah. This, thanks so much, ma'am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but yeah, like there is that, there is that fear for sure. Like, we're not i'm not so i'm not so confident in myself all the time to not have that worry i've just as i've said i've made the calculation that i think putting myself out there in the hope that it might make a, diff, a positive different positive difference to others that's worth it even if i do open myself up perhaps to that risk but i'd rather take the gamble on making a positive difference than it getting like thrown back in my face. Mm. And if, we, and you know, there was in the video that I made and you can watch it, there was a question that came from a student and the chap was like, you don't sound like you've been like p- other people have had way more trauma than you have. And I was like, Oh, well, thank you for responding to my vulnerability with this question. Um, but here's why this question is uh, really frustrating and actually perpetuates the idea that, you know, you need to have X amount of trauma to be valued or believed or, or the or
0: comparison like Olympics yeah, exactly. somebody else has 100%. it worse. So
1: I don't deserve to feel exactly, bad. Exactly. Exactly that. And I said, and so, you know, I just, I kept that question in cause I was like, Oh, mm. I bet you didn't think I'd answer this question, but we got to because <laughs> you're perpetuating a stigma. And do you, you know, and I'll just to turn it back on you of like, do you want to be a person who when someone is being vulnerable and sharing that they're struggling then you're like, wow, that's, that sounds like it's really, that sounds like it really sucks. What can I, can I help in any way? Or do you want to be the person who's going to say, "Mm, tough it up? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, so there, there, there was a little bit of like, not so much that, you know, like, like a parent concern or getting it used against me, but there was a little bit of like a not so pleasant question that came through that was bracing to say the least. But again, like that's an opportunity to address it of like, Oh, let's go there. Then let's talk about comparing trauma and how useful an exercise that is. Spoiler alert. It's not, there's yeah. no point. Like, that's just not a word. I, yeah. It's a good the uh, The comparison Olympics of how much trauma one has versus the other is like, okay.
0: Yeah. Ultimately we have to, we have to be ourselves. Like it, it is mm-hmm. a very exhausting profession if we can't be fully ourselves. And yeah. sometimes, I mean, parts of my identity have been used against me mm-hmm. in closed yeah. rooms and I've been surprised. But at the same yeah. time, the benefits that have come out yep. of me being authentically who I am and sharing my voice and putting myself out there, it's worth it.
1: Yeah. And it's nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with them too. Of like, oh, okay. This is, this is sparking something of discomfort in you mm-hmm. and that's your, that's your mess that you're on. That's not mine. It's yeah. not about me. Something's – you know, that's – something is – I've provoked something in you apparently um, that is making you respond in a way that is, you know, negative or snarky or whatever you want to call it. And I think too, you know, like um, in terms of, you know, me speaking out about like this part of my life and you speaking out about yours – that also sick, you know, like we're, we're pushing that needle forward for everyone. And that includes the people who might have underlying mental illnesses or different aspects of their life. And they don't want to share it. They don't want to, you know, kind of um, remove that boundary between the personal and the professional. So again, like I'm, I know that I'm not the only person with an underlying mental illness and, you know, the in the pool of our colleagues and the pool, pool of broader teachers. But again, like, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that hard for me to be honest about what's going on. And I think that, you know if i'm the one doing it then that's moving the progress forward for everyone else who's like i can't i'm just not in a space yeah. where i can talk about this and then again like i'm willing to do that i'm wearing i'm willing to be that canary um and that again i i guess that comes from you know my my parents and genetics and my past experiences and walking on hot coals and you know managing to live through my undergrad and going you know enduring two weeks in a hospital which was you know a ultimately, you know, it would have saved my life, but, you know, uh, a traumatic experience, like all these things that I've gone through, like, if it's, if it's going to make a difference for students, if it's going to make a difference in the teacher community, and it, if something changes because of that, then it's worth it. Yeah. So then I, it feels like, you know, in the same way that people talk about, you know, they talk about teaching being a calling, I feel like I have a calling to to use my voice wherever I can. That's what we try to tell our students is, you know, using your voice and this is mine. And mm-hmm. like, if I'm, if I have it and it doesn't cost me um, t- immense emotional labor, sometimes it does. Like I, like after the chapel um, and after making that video, the following week, I was so low in my mood because like, oh, I'm so burnt out. Oops. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm so tired. That was a lot. But you know, I bounced back from that. So like, if I'm able to do it, for others who might not feel comfortable sharing their, tr- sharing their experience that way, they shouldn't have to feel so. So again, like I'm, it doesn't feel like an obligation. It feels more like a calling of like, maybe this is part of what I was meant to do. Mm, I love that. I could talk
0: to you for, I can't believe like an hour's <laughs> almost gone by. I could literally I talk to you for hours. We're going to have to publish like a five hour podcast. Just <gasps> I of love us that. talking. Yeah. I don't know if other people would, but I would love it. I uh, love it. We're going to close off with a ticket out the door. Are you ready oh for boy. a bunch of random questions? Yes. <laughs> <on bizarre laughs> I'm, topics. I'm so ready. I changed them just for you. So Sweet. we're going to start. What do many people get wrong or misunderstand about you?
1: What do many people get wrong or misunderstand? Um, I I think that um, um, that some people might misunderstand that I'm not always open to talk about my mental illness. Um, you know, uh, I think because of clearly based on this hour long conversation, I've established that I'm pretty co- candid and comfortable talking about it. But there are times where I feel like garbage, and I apparently look like garbage too, and people feel free to say like. You look really tired. Are you okay? I was like, no, clearly I look like garbage. I'm not doing okay, but thank you for asking. Ugh, like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, if you can sort of set, like, if I'm in sweatpants still and like the hair doesn't look particularly clean I got bags under my eyes like maybe I'm having a not so great day so sometimes it's like okay I don't always want to be talking about this um and then also I think you know although I am very much an extrovert there are also times where the idea of being around people you know normally and now I would love to be around people <laughs> thanks thanks COVID but um yeah, I think sometimes people are like, extroverts always want to do the thing. No, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, sometimes I would like to nap or read quietly. I would not be around people.
0: What is your favorite musical of all time? Man. You
1: have to pick one. Oh, no, man. Ugh. Okay, if I have to pick one, it's going to be Cabaret. Cabaret. I grew up listening to that musical. Uh, my parents took me to see it when I was certainly too young to go see it. So maybe that's also part of what happened in terms of backstory. I think they think that it had come to town, and I was maybe in like grade two to see that show. Which, if you think about the show, Calvary, is like way too young. Yeah. Um, but like, I grew up listening to the revival soundtrack, like Alan Cumming and. Uh, mm. um, uh, yes. And then I got to be in that show in, in university. And then I went to see it in New York with my mom when Alan Cumming was back as the MC yes. and it was with Emma Stone. And then Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney was also there that night. So we were waiting at the stage door to get our playbill signed, And then a member of the Beatles walks out. We were like, Whoa, what's going on? Oh my God. Uh, so yeah, I, if I have to pick it'd be Cabaret. It's a great one. Oh, I love
0: it. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning?
1: Oh, it's, I checked my phone.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, what's the last thing you do before you go to bed? Um,
1: <laughs> so uh, I got a Google Home recently, and I have one of those fun, like, um, Bluetooth lights uh, as my bedroom lamp, and, and lately the thing that... <laughs> where my husband and I do, is we put on really funny voices and we see which one will actually get picked up by the Google Home. Um, so, oh. like, hey, Google, turn off the bedroom. Lamp. And then it doesn't read really, it. And so finally, we have to quit and be like, hey, Google, turn off the bedroom lamp. But that's what we, that's like the last thing that I've been doing is making oh weird voices to the Google Home.
0: Okay. I never oh, no, would I just, have guessed that.
1: <laughs> I just said it and the Google Home's like, okay, I'll turn off the, the Google oh. Home just picked up what I said. <laughs>
0: that is perfect. Um, what is the most recent TV
1: show you binged and loved?
0: Uh,
1: wasn't a binge, but I literally just watched the WandaVision finale this morning because mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a Friday off and it was the finale day. And I was thinking, oh boy, I can't go on TikTok because spoilers and I want to go on TikTok. Today. <laughs> so I watched it first thing, like it was, you know, Saturday morning cartoons and it's a, you know, uh, it's definitely a show where I think, like, if you're not a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's tricky. But it's a really beautiful show about, like, grief and trauma and this poor woman trying to cope with these incredible losses. Elizabeth mm. Olsen is just, like, amazing in that. So I'd mm. say, yeah, WandaVision. So good.
0: Mm-hmm. Pie
1: or cake? Mm,
0: pie. Beach or mountains? Beach.
1: Spring or fall? Fall. What would be your last meal on Earth? Oof. Um, my dad makes this, um, this beef dish. So it's like beef with a Madeira cream sauce and like asparagus and mashed potatoes. Mm. Um, I'd want that. It's so good. Finally,
0: what is the future of learning?
1: The future of learning. I should know that this was coming, right? Um, um, oops, (laughs) um, (laughs) I think that the future of learning is one that does not have grades. I think the future of learning has different ways of assessing growth without attaching numbers or letters uh, to it. I think that there should still be some sort of assessment but I've been increasingly a fan of the like, here's the skill, not yet, got it, mastered approach. And I, you know, I don't know how that would work with like university applications and the like where you apparently need those things. Um, but I I really think that if, man, if I've learned anything from teaching in a middle school, like even at middle school, you have these young people who are like, is this is this a test? Is this a test? Is this going on my report card? Is this, and I wish I just, I just need to start making signs with little sticks being like, no, not a test. Quiz is the same thing as a check-it, just different wording. Um, everything goes on the report card. I tell a story about you and your learning based on all of the data points that I see and that's what happens. But already there's this, you know, that to me is one of the toughest things because I hear it so often that I think sometimes I get snappy about it. I'm like, no, it's not. But, but like, it, it's just trying to, you know, make them understand like this is, whatever you do is okay. We Mm -hmm. just did a little check-in on the passé composé, and I'm sure that I say, yep, I did have, you have to learn Dr. Mrs. Vandertramp, so apologies to anyone listening who's like, oh no, I'm having school flashbacks to when I had to learn Vandertramp, but you know, I said, I said to them, this is the first check-in where you have to have, you know, essentially memorized a lot of information about finicky French grammar, and I've told students, if you get 100%, I'll give you a sticker. I am expecting like a level three, like if you're in the 70s, great. If it's lower, that's okay. There'll be another one where you can show this learning again. But I think the hang up on, on, on numbers and quality, I, d- I don't think it's really benefiting. I don't know. Yeah. So I think the future of learning has um, less less grades and numbers. Mm. Thank you so much
0: for being on the show today. My pleasure. (laughs) Being my friend. And I just wish that we could have a time machine so I could go back and be in grade seven or eight and have you as my French teacher. You're just such a, you're a real (laughs) gift to the profession. And I'm glad
1: that I get to work with you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And thank you so much for all of your support. If you
0: are now obsessed with Erin like I am, you can follow her on Twitter at Erin Imrie. Reach out to her, share your thoughts on the show, or better yet, take a friend that you think would like listening to this conversation too. And don't leave me out of the fun. You can tag me too at teach underscore tomorrow on Twitter or at teaching underscore tomorrow on Instagram. You might be surprised to hear that this show is just something I do as a hobby. I'm not paid, I'm not sponsored, I'm not getting cool free stuff from this. I do it because it's a fun excuse to talk to cool people. If you're listening every week and are benefiting from these conversations, all I need from you is to fill out a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's really not the most intuitive process and I'm sorry about that, but if you're on the Apple Podcast app, go to your library, find the show, scroll down to the rating and review section. The time you take to share your thoughts about the show go such a long way. It's like your little way of saying, hey, I hear you, and this is what I think. My goal for 2021 is to get 100 reviews. I'm about a third of the way there, and maybe about a third of the way through the year. So totally doable still, I think. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your help with this. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep taking your mental health days, and remember, we are teaching tomorrow.